Academy podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Agdarab. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. Luther Smith is an ordained elder in the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, longtime Academy faculty person, and a member of the Academy Advisory Board. Luther spent 35 years of his career as an activist, scholar, and professor at Candler School of Theology, and he is known to be an authority on the life and theology of Howard Thurman. Luther is Professor Emeritus of Church and Community at Candler, His current research focuses on the writings and correspondence of Howard Thurman, advocacy on behalf of children, and a spirituality of hope. He is married to Helen Pearson Smith and lives in Stone Mountain, Georgia. They have four children and five grandchildren. Luther's most recent book, Hope is Here, Spiritual Practices for Pursuing Justice and Beloved Community, was just released a few months ago in November of 2023. Dr. Smith begins his lecture with a story about a community who took scripture seriously. And they committed their lives and resources to, quote, conserve the soil, God's holy earth. They read and took seriously the Acts of the Apostles. Koinonia members would farm for their livelihood, build relationships with neighbors, and provide those interested an opportunity to serve a period of apprenticeship in developing community life on the teachings of Jesus. Folks, that sounds like heaven on earth to me. Unsurprisingly, however, this was not welcomed by everyone in the American South of the late 1940s. Dr. Smith will expand on the story in the first few minutes and use it as the basis for issuing us an invitation to deal with conflict, for it is not an optional skill for Christian faithfulness. Our obedience requires it. The question he asks us is, will we engage conflict confidently and creatively, or will we find ourselves unprepared? Listen on, dear one, and as you listen, breathe deeply and expand gently, for our world is in deep conflict, and as Luther suggests, it has always been. The second reading is uh, regarding an experience of Koinonia. Clarence Jordan, as some of you may remember, uh, is the founder of Koinonia there in America's Georgia. Americas is right uh, next to Plains, Georgia, where Jimmy Carter uh, lives. To know the story of uh, Clarence Jordan and, and Cornelia is, is amazing. It's, it's really one of the, I think, most significant testimonies to Christian witness uh, that we have had in the 20th century. Um, it was very instrumental also in the civil rights movement uh, as a place for people to gather. And um, it had its members very involved in issues in America itself, which at one point was considered in many ways the epicenter of conflict that was going on in the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. 
1957, Koinonia was met by a delegation of prominent white citizens from America's Georgia who believed that the religious community should be terminated. The spokesman for the group said to Koinonia's members, now your experiment has provoked the sensibilities of a vast majority of our people. We came out here on the basis that you are serving what you believe to be Christian principles. Now your philosophy is that the first duty of a Christian would be to make brotherly love in the community. Unfortunately, your experiment has not done that. It has set brother against brother. It has created bitterness. It has created hatred. It has created every emotion that is contrary to my concept of Christianity. It is our belief that unless this experiment is moved to other fields, that tempers will get to such a point that somebody is going to be hurt. We want to appeal to your good judgment to pray over it and think over it and see if you don't think you'll be serving the best interest of the community and certainly the best interest of your Lord to move and leave us in peace. Koinonia was bearing witness to a modest proposal that black and white people could work and eat and fellowship and worship together on a farm. This traumatized the white citizens of Americas and inspirited the religious and moral imagination of people, both nationally and internationally. The social order and religious faith were challenged and transformed by Koinonia's commitment to be a modest paradigm of a radical gospel. Such a commitment leads to radical consequences. The call to radical discipleship is reassuring and disturbing. Anytime we are provided opportunities to bear witness to the beliefs that claim us, terror ceases. Stripped of excuses, we are called to account for our choices and ultimately for our lives. But choice we have. There is something we can do, no matter how modest, to express our commitment to being in covenant with God. If we give ourselves fully to God's call and opportunities, not only will others be amazed, but we will also be astounded by what God has accomplished through us and in us. What is the nature of conflict in the church? Is it a departure from history and identity? No. <laughs> the history of the church is a history that is rife with conflict from the beginning to the end. The history that we see in the Old Testament is a history full of conflict. The first family, the first family, brother kills brother. The first family. And so it goes through all the families, through all the generations, 
Through all the drama of history, there is conflict. And the Christian story is not a story against conflict, but what it means to be faithful in conflict. As we build on the story of Adam and Abraham and Moses and David, we discover that from these beginnings, our own story under a Christian identity is a story that has occurred in an atmosphere of conflict. Paul certainly had, as we mentioned before. And as we go through to the saints of the church, we see it time and time again. Uh, some of you have mentioned John of the Cross and Teresa de Avila. Uh, you know, these are, these are saints that we uh, lift up in terms of the beautiful words which they had to say, and yet they were struggling to, uh, with their own communities. Uh, imprisoned, humiliated, leadership taken from them in their own communities. And Benedict, a community he founded, he had to deal with uh, the monks being disturbed by his leadership trying to poison his wine. <laughs> oh yeah, when, when, we're in, when Christians are in conflict, we, we're serious now. <laughs> we, we, we don't play. It's been with us, and it will always be with us. Uh, I was uh, going to an annual conference as a guest speaker uh, in my denomination in Alabama, and as I uh, found the church and um, looked for a place to park, an attendant out there uh, recognized me, and he was trying to help me out, and he said, uh, Reverend, why, why don't you uh, park over there, which was a place still full of cars, we'd be double parking. And I said, um, okay, but why not park right there? It was a church next to this church with not a single car on the parking lot. And this parking lot is Packed, double parked. He said, "Oh no, Reverend, we, 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 we have issues with that church, and um, we cannot uh, have our cars parking there." Now this is like on a Monday or Tuesday, uh -huh. so we're not even talking about battling for Sunday space, you know. Not a single car, and this lot is full. Two Christian churches. We wonder why there can't be resolution in Ireland. <laughs> or why there can't be resolution in the Middle East. Or why they, there can't be resolution in some other part of the world. Why, are people, why can't they just get along? Here are two Christian churches that can't agree on the use of parking space. This is what happens to us. It, it, it's, it's part of us. It's, it's the reality in which we live. Familiar, but not necessarily, we are familiar, but not necessarily good at being faithful in conflict. Or faithful in embracing conflict 
when embracing conflict is necessary. Too often, we are involved in conflict avoidance. And I want to suggest that what I'm about to say is not primarily about conflict, but it's about faithfulness and obedience in conflict. Faithfulness and the assurance that God is with us in the conflict, that God has not abandoned us in the conflict. And I think it's important to register where you feel on these three options that I'm uh, presenting here. Do you think of conflict as an intrusion upon the natural state of order and harmony? That's, that's one option. Conflict as an intrusion upon the natural state of order and harmony. It's, it's important to note, because even if you're clear about where you feel, you may be working in a congregation where there are some people who definitely feel that way. Secondly, do you think of conflict as reality that prevents shalom? Conflict as reality that prevents shalom. And third, do you think of conflict as part of the givenness of living? Conflict as part of the givenness of living. You can be in a meeting, and if you have a significant number of persons who align themselves with this first order, while you may be working at what you understand to be the source of the problem and you're working toward resolution, and it may even lead toward, in some sense, uh, an increased feeling of conflict. Someone else in the room can't imagine the direction you're going because all they want to do is to get the conflict out of the room. And it may even be with emotion that we stop talking about this. As if that deals creatively with a conflict. Jesus speaks to us about conflict and introducing conflict as a faith initiative. In Luke 12, beginning at verse 49, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, a household of five will be divided three against two and two against three. A father will be divided against his son and a son against his father. A mother against her daughter and a daughter against her mother. A mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
This is sweet Jesus. <laughs> Dealing with conflict is not an optional skill for Christian faithfulness. Amen. Our obedience requires it. And the question is, will we engage conflict confidently and creatively? Or will we find ourselves unprepared? And so for a few moments, I'm going to speak about the anatomy of conflict. What's involved in conflict? I'm going to list just quickly several things. Anger. Anger. And it can be anger from a sense of humiliation, a sense of betrayal, or a sense of oppression. But the anger is there, and the anger is an element of the conflict with which you are dealing. <clears throat> Something a bit stronger than anger, hostility. A great hatred. Because someone has experienced a wound so deep that they cannot stand the other person, or perhaps they cannot stand this committee, or perhaps they cannot even stand this church. There may be for them even a spiritual issue that they're very, very hostile toward God. And if they could say it, they would say they can't stand what God has done to them. But no, they can't say that and be taken seriously, and they know that. So they focus on something else with this feeling. Confusion. Assumptions. A conflict that has been roused by rumor or confusion regarding roles and responsibilities. I was in charge of the kitchen. It's not that I want to be in charge of the kitchen, but that was my role. And then he came in and started giving orders regarding the kitchen. And I wouldn't have minded if he was going to be the one to see this through. But you know, there have been other times when he has come in and he didn't see this through. And then I had to clean up after him anyway. And you can see where that's going. Up. Confusion and assumptions. Or aspirations. Someone who does not feel supported or who feels as if there is active resistance against their desire to do more in the life of the church. Why is it that their name is never called to chair something? No one has asked what they want to do 
And rather than say that, rather than say, I would like to provide leadership, they find themselves in disagreement with the flow of the conversation as it's occurring. It's their way of saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Another element of conflict are deep convictions and commitment. Persons who perceive themselves, Kathy, as protectors of the faith. <coughs> and so they send emails and make their speeches or leave because they are protectors of the faith or try to get you to leave because they are protectors of the faith. They will have comments and acting, actions regarding preaching or what's going on with the youth group or services. And even if they are not in necessarily disagreement with what's going on in your church, in their church, the fact that you showed up at another church where they disagree with what's going on becomes a source of their protecting the faith. Of course, we can always talk about greed and envy and stealing and injustice and oppression. These are all elements of conflict. Greed and envy and stealing, injustice and oppression. Oh, um, and, and so often when we come across such matters, we don't deal with them well. We, we, we try to get the conflict. I mean, <clears throat> I know churches that have sometimes dealt with someone who has stolen from, from a church as, as if, um, be it the pastor or a layperson, as if, okay, we discovered it, and they may have to go, but that's going to be the end of it in terms of our involvement. And so this pastor goes to another church and steals again, and then another church and steals again. And we never really help beyond what we think is the big issue in terms of our spiritual practices, discernment regarding all that we have said already. What is the conflict really about? And how might we utilize prayer, the reality of God, the reality of the Holy Spirit in the midst of this? That we not simply reduce conflict to winners and losers, but that we are praying before, praying throughout, praying afterward, and calling everyone into this matter of discernment and prayer. And hopefully, taking seriously what I just said earlier about cultivating practices before conflict, that when we're asked to discern, people will not think of it simply as political manipulation, but that they take discernment as crucial to their very identity. Secondly, humility. To not have one's ego on the line 
either as a party to the conflict or as a mediator of the conflict. But to be able to focus on elements of the conflict, even when persons are pointing to you as the problem, to be able to not fall apart when they do that, to be present to the conflict, to be present to their feelings, and to be present to the possibilities for moving this conflict in a creative direction. Third, truth-telling. What happened? And to have people to speak about what happened without the need for blame or judgment. Just what has occurred? This can be very difficult, but it is necessary. And as the feelings get more and more intense, and people don't necessarily feel better about you leading them into this process. <laughs> How do you help the truth-telling to continue and help people to listen without feeling as if they have been so insulted by truth-telling, they're leaving the room? Or how do you allow someone to leave the room, but also allow some people to stay in the room? And don't think that the meeting is over just because the person who's been leaving has decided to go when everybody else may have been getting something out of it. Or, if they're not getting something out of it, they're at least willing to stay in hoping that you'll redeem the suffering they've been going through. Fourth, is it fourth? Confession. Helping persons and helping yourself to understand how saying, I messed up, I'm sorry, I was insensitive, I feel bad about this, I wish I could do better, is not a matter of failure of person, but it's a matter of Christian faithfulness in the practice of spirituality, confession. We begin our liturgies, pardon me, many of our liturgies with confession. It's there. We say it's needed often to move on, and it's usually not at the end of the service, it's usually at the beginning of the service. Confession begins, it clears the deck, it enables us to move forward, it enables us to um, throw away any shroud of deception, any shroud that we think is concealing the reality of the truth. Fourth, is it fourth? Fifth, I, I knew that, I was just testing you. Fifth, <laughs> apology. Apology. And sometimes to take it yourself as a way of modeling it. Apology can even occur even if you're innocent. And I've, 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 I've talked with persons again and again about this, and I've done it. Persons who were really not at fault regarding a matter, but what occurred hurt someone. And I, I, I work with them and say, I am so sorry that what we've been dealing with has hurt you so much. Now that's, a, that's very different than saying, I'm so sorry that I intentionally tried to hurt you. Because they didn't intentionally try. But they're sorry that what has occurred has evoked these feelings, this atmosphere. 
we don't even know sometimes how to make that, that's, which can make a, a, a great deal of difference in terms of, of what goes forward and how a person is hearing the, the, the sense in which there's lament. There can be not just manipulative lament to get off, but, but true lament that, that, that this has hurt you. That, that, that I have been the source of your anguish. tell you conflict is secular or that followers of the way are to always rise above conflict or worse I would say stuff it all down these practices of discernment humility truth-telling and confession those aren't just practices for when we are in conflict they are for daily living you know, as a nod to Karl Barth's double fisting of the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other, my church borrows the practice of a word from the world alongside our word from scripture. In most weeks, I select a headline from the news that pokes us, agitates us, you know, just wakes us up a bit to feel the hurt and the hope of the world. But for months now, our word from the world has consistently been about conflict. And perhaps that's an inappropriate word for the anguish we feel in the world. But there is conflict at the heart of it all. I'm curious which regions of the world came to mind as you listened to Dr. Smith talk about conflict. What political parties appeared in your imagination? What long-seated ethnic and cultural divisions float to the surface? I pray we can employ these practices of discernment, humility, truth-telling, and confession as a means of grace, as a way of staying fully present to the ways we have been complicit in harm, both individually and collectively, and so that more people may experience total liberation in the process of tending to conflict and not merely avoiding it. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Luther, join us at the next online or in-person Academy retreat. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.